Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast, a monthly podcast unpacking stories from the persecuted church that will challenge everything you know about faith, Jesus, and the church. In the year that has been, as we've wrestled through the continuing pandemic, lockdown, vaccines, government, changes within our churches, what does it look like to be real in our faith, to trust God and to share the gospel with those around us? This episode takes some of the best conversations that Open Door CEO Mike Gore had with an array of special guests this year. From Taya Gorproger from Hillsong, to Darling Check from Hope You See, Mark Sayos and Red Church and Joel Kay from Glow, we chat through some of the biggest challenges of 2021. There is so much gold in this episode and I'd really encourage you to grab a pen and capture some of these quotes. Here are the best bits of this year and what we've learned in 2021. The wrestle between fear and doubt can be ongoing in our Christian life. What do you do when there are areas in your life that you don't trust God to move or you're unsure he hears your prayers? Well, in this conversation, Mike talks to Taya Gorkroger from Hillsong United about having faith in a sea of doubt. You, t- you talked about part of just the faith walk is fear and doubt. And that's kind of the premise of today's kind of wrestle, right, is that, you know, yeah. when we close our eyes and we picture God, we all, we all have an image. We'll have some cases that we believe he can, let's say, heal cancer. Others would say he couldn't. I remember a good friend of mine said, look, I don't believe God answers prayer. I mean, this, this was a, a multi-decade Christian, okay? Yeah, but, right. but her viewpoint was God doesn't answer prayer, right? We all have these images and these pictures that limit God. Um, are there any areas, I guess that's a pretty personal question, but are there any areas in your life that you don't believe the Lord can work? I mean, like those deep, recesses of your mind um, that contradict, I guess, the reality that you've never failed me and you won't start now? I would say, um, what was that? What's the first little part? Because it's kind of in, yeah. in so, that so question. It's like, are there any parts, I guess, in your, your picture or viewpoint of God that limit him and sort of say, look, I don't believe God can work in those situations? Or is, um, and then you sort of sing those lines and say, you've never failed yeah. me and you won't start now. Do they sort of, they live in opposition of each other or, or they just something like, no, I believe it. He, he hasn't failed me yet and he's never going to start. I think it's yes, where we have allowed that to become our belief. I, I think hmm. it's in, in the parts where we haven't believed or we have thought that he did fail. Um, and, and that comes from circumstances and, and, and then we've allowed that to jade our view of God um, because, I mean, a hard one is like, you know, praying for healing. We believe that God is a healer. Um, I'm probably going to butcher Jehovah Rapha, like our healer. And that's one of his names. And, and it says, you know, in the New Testament, by his stripes, we're healed. And, you know, whenever it says lay hands on the sick, you know, get gather the elders together, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Mm. And, you know, what happens when people aren't healed you know, I had a friend, um, still my friend, but we were asking for healing for a father and he actually passed away recently. And it's in those moments that you go, well, he got healing. He actually got complete full healing, just not in the way that we were hoping or believing or praying for. Um, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't heal because he actually, he's in the presence of Jesus where 
you know, he, there, there's no tears that he will wipe away every tear. There's like his body is whole. He is not struggling. He is not in pain. Um, and, you know, like it says in the Bible, we see in part now, so we don't fully understand, but one day we'll fully know and fully see God. And just, it's all going to be that, that amazing moment when we get to be reunited essentially in heaven with God, you know? Um, but I, I think it, it's the, the onus is on us because, you know, Jesus says, come to me, you know? Yeah. Like all who are weary, like come. And, and I, you know, I want to be like those people that when Jesus said, come for me, they left everything. They didn't even look back. They just said, you know, like they heard the words of life. I want to be like, I think it was John that says, you know, um, some disciples were really disappointed with what they were hearing Jesus talk about. Um, looked hard and it was just like, oh, this salvation life that you're asking us to walk out the narrow road type life is hard. And they actually left a lot of disciples like left. And then Jesus turned to the 12 and said, well, you guys going to leave me too. And, and they said, to whom else will we go? You know, you hold the words of eternal life. Mm. And, you know, for someone who's had like such an encounter with Jesus, I could never, you know, think of going anywhere else because I'm like, I've experienced life. Like the promise of God is life in the fullest of, um, sorry, the fullest of life in the emptiest of places. And he's done too much in my life for me to ever deny. Mm. Um, but I'm reminded anytime that I don't think he can do it is because I've allowed a lie to, um, to kind of reign in that area because I haven't come to the truth because it's the truth that sets us, sets us free. And Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And I truly believe that if we have, um, you know, if there's areas that we think it can't work, it's because we haven't actually surrendered that part yet to him. Mm. And um, a, a person that I, I love so much is not alive. He'll be in heaven. So I get to talk to him then. Oswald Chambers, he always talks a lot about that in, in his um, devotional, My Outmost for His Highest. Um, and he just always talks about, you know, it, it's always the places that we just don't release. Like, you know, God doesn't force his way in. You know, he gave us free will. He gave us a choice. And he's kind of just like waiting. You know, the other day it was just talking about coming to him. And, mm. and he just, and he, and he sets it out and he says, come and the onus is on us whether we do or not. And yeah, I've just found that God has the most excellent way, even when we think there isn't one and yet he will show us. And I can mm. only speak from my own life, just going, oh my gosh, if there's areas where like <laughs> you're wanting breakthrough or you're just trying to, you know, I don't know, believe for God, whatever the thing is like, where else will we go? No one else holds the words of eternal life. No one else brings true freedom it's only when you've experienced it yourself in places that you didn't think you could find that freedom that you're just like, Oh, if only I had just come earlier. So as a fellow Christian, just trying to learn how to trust Jesus, just come. Cause there's actually no other place that has real peace, real hope, real life, real joy. Um, Jesus. Amen. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, hey, look, one of the things for all the people watching, 
Taya, that was like an incredibly beautiful and vulnerable answer, right? Because I think one of the, the wrestles that we face in, in sort of modern day Christianity is that we can, we can not realize that we're actually all wrestle with the same doubts. And so you can see people with large platforms or profiles and sort of think, well, mate, they just must have it all together. But what you yeah. did in that answer was you showed vulnerability to say, hey, look, you know what, I wrestle the same as anyone else. But then you also brought it back to Jesus and just said, man, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I was having a coffee this morning with a friend, and we were talking about some of those struggles and trials. And I said, you know, the verse, the classic verse, God makes all things work for the good of those who love him, sort of came up. And as we chatted, I said, I think one of the wrestles is when our definition of good and God's mm. definition of good is different. Right now in Western cultures, our definition of good is often okay, right, blessed, happy, right, all of those kind of emotions and connotations. Yet it says God works all things for the good of those who love him, right? And so we, our definition of good may be vastly different mm. to his definition of good. And in so many ways for me personally, if I spend a minute being vulnerable, those, those recesses of my mind and the limits I place on God, I often don't want to go back to them simply because I know the pain of looking at them would, would suggest that actually it was for the good of those who love him. Yes, it's a far easier posture for me to have, which is bitter, jaded, yeah. frustrated, angry, upset, or disappointed. You know, that's a lot easier ground to hold than it is to, to stare it in the face and deal with grief mm -hmm. and sadness, maybe loss, um, but, but trust that God is who he said he is. And so that's it. I just want to say a massive thank you because for all of the people watching this, your words will mean a heck of a lot more than mine and that will make a huge difference to so many people. Have you ever actually questioned God in times of suffering? Will Mike and Darlene Check talk through what it means to question and wrestle with God in difficult times and how to safely deconstruct and reconstruct your faith again? This one is not to be missed. It's one of our favorite highlights from 2021. Do you think that people misequate, I guess, happiness with God and belief in God? So it's kind of like saying, hey, I measure my proximity to him, my closeness to him, of his provision of safety. Well, things are good. Life is good. But then we sort of misequate suffering with an absence of God, the betrayal of the Gospels. And do you think that's one of the wrestles, happiness and belief and that kind of the interplay? Yeah, yeah look, I, <clears throat> I probably answer this different in my understanding as I'm getting older about the gift. And please, I hear me when I say this. So I'm not placating people walking through hell on earth. I'm not, I'm not saying yay, but I am saying that there are things that you will find out about who God is when you want to get out of this world, when you are suffering to the core of who you are. And in my own heart, I, I call it the gift of suffering. I read this um, amazing book that's <laughs> kind of ruined me and I'm still wrestling with it myself, this missionary um, Elizabeth Elliot, and, you know, I don't know if you've heard of her, but her and her husband go into an unreached people group, you know, husband gets killed, da 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 They're in the middle of nowhere, a long way from home, and then she 
realizes one day that God didn't, she had no peace on going home. And she's she got a small child, little daughter. And she's like, so God, are you asking me to go back and teach people about the love of God when they've taken my husband? And he's like, yeah, yeah. This life isn't the goal. And you said yes. And I'd love you to say yes all the way. And mm. the miracles along the way. But she talks about the heartache. And, and I... And I go, heartbreak is part of the human experience. You know, I, I love, Jesus knew Lazarus, Lazarus was going to rise, but he still wept. <laughs> like he wept. He, he, I go, God is, he, he is, he is near to the brokenhearted. He comes really close. And do I understand it all? No, I don't. But I've, been diving in deep into these waters myself to find, um, I guess, a more of a language around this, you know, as I lead and as I talk to more people. And, um, and what I'm finding is, is a God who is incredibly gracious to anyone who is suffering. You know, there is a part of who I am in Christ that I could never have understood apart from suffering. Mm. Does God delight in our suffering? No, he does not because he's, he's not cruel. And I don't understand providence. You know, I don't understand why some people get healed and some people don't. But I, and I don't mind the questions. You know, I, used to, I, I grew up in the era of please don't ask God questions because you just got to trust him. You know, so when I was in my mid-30s and I started asking God questions, I felt like the biggest sinner, right? Oh. It was a wrestle. But then I just, I felt the love of God toward me as I asked these questions and I started writing things down. God, why this? Why that? Um, and I keep going back to trust is a verb. Yeah. It is not easy. Yeah. So, but following Christ is lay down your life and pick up your cross. You know, Toza said, you know, in the 21st century church, our issue will not be persecution. It will be admiration. Yeah. And you're going to have to wrestle it. It's like we're not, it's, we're, we're here to be disciples. And I, sometimes I think, even look at my own life, God, am I a Christian only or am I a disciple of Jesus? Because a disciple of Jesus is okay with the wrestle and is, you know, yeah. but I don't want to be like a super Christian carrying my big Bible. Yeah, well, that was, look, what, what I loved, the couple of things you said there was, was first of all, you grew up in an era where the question God felt like you were sinning, right? Yeah. And yeah. Is, you grew up in that era and we come forward and, and for so many of the people, I know that that's how they're left feeling. And so my hope is that as they listen to your answer, there's a sense of, um, peace and sort of comfort that comes with it. Because for me, it sounds weird, but it's almost like when I'm most angry with God, he's allowed us, you know, and I often tend to people, hey, you want to hear God, just get angry. Because those moments where I really pour out, yeah. I wrestles that I say, that, that I feel the voice of God. And it's almost like God saying, man, I finally got your attention. Now talk. And, um, and so I love that to be able to question God is just so important in church leadership wrestles we have in this this culture of people feeling as though 
I guess to ask questions could be sinning. One of the one of the inadvertent, I think, victims in all of that is it was often the church, because they wear all of the weight of the response or the lack of response from people, but they also struggle to articulate or get their mouth around some of the answers for those. And so, in your role as leadership now, I mean, you've gone from being incredibly influential in worship and songwriting, but now senior pastor and leadership in your own right. How to handle, lead people through, articulate, comfort those people who express an uncertainty with faith? Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you this. When someone is honest enough to say, can you help me in my unbelief? You know, I, I, love, I love that prayer from the Father, you know, who Jesus is like, oh, this unbelieving generation and then this Father who wants his boy, he's like, help me in my unbelief. I, I love that and I... You know, I guess my last 10 years, Yeah. I'm sorry, I get emotional because I see the church as, well, let me go back a step. I one night had this dream of, I don't know, you're probably way too young for this, but there used to be this thing you did with your hands, you know, here is the church, here is the steeple, yeah. open the doors and see all the people, right? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, that's the problem. And I'm like, what do you mean that's the problem? You're all tucked in here. You're all tucked in here. And I'm like, and then he started taking me on. The Holy Spirit took me on this journey of the church as a table. And he's like, what do you want for your family? My favourite thing in my family is family dinner night. It's warts and all at the table, the wrestle. It's not all like, we're not a Mary Poppins family. I've got a family full of individual, intelligent questioning kids right son-in-laws amazing people so that breeds great conversation we don't always agree and but it's the highlight of my life and i i feel like as a church we've become on this platform i don't call it a stage stage says you need to perform it's not we are not here we're not performers we're ministers you know so anyway that's my own personal bent um but a table puts us all together. I have to see you. You have to see me. I can't just walk in, eat my dinner and leave and not have a conversation, right? And I'm so amazed at how many times Jesus and, and in the Gospels and then in all sorts of parts of the Bible, there's a table mm. and there's feasting and there's meals and there's and people are looking at each other and, and I think that's how you ask questions. It means there's a relational, there's relational um, stuff in the bank, enough for you to ask me the toughest question and for me to not get offended, but for me, well, let's walk this together because I might be able to help you answer the question, but you might be able to help me understand where this question is coming from. And maybe that's going to challenge something in me as well. That's yeah. agape. That's yeah. faith is uncomfortable. Loving your neighbor as yourself is uncomfortable and we'll never get it from just sitting in a pew and watching someone on a platform and then leaving without talking. That was never the idea. Now I know at times because of numbers and all I know at times that is a great blessing. But those are highlight moments. We've got to be in the trenches together where yeah. it's safe for me to wrestle my faith. I will say this, 
if you're, you know, deconstructing, you know, your faith, please don't ever deconstruct without having a reconstruct plan with someone that you trust. Because I have seen the deconstruct theory take the greatest of people and, and bring them zero freedom, but has tossed them out into like this awful universe that, you know, begets sarcasm and, and lies and rips families apart. And I'm like, please reconstruct, but be careful who you do it with. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. It's our last one for 2021, so get the most out of it that you can. In this next segment, what does it mean to be a culturally relevant church? Is it about following trends and being cool, or is it about meeting the needs of those around us? In this conversation, Mike talks to Mark Sayers, the senior leader of Red Church in Melbourne and author of a number of books, including Strange Days and Reappearing Church, about how to be a culturally relevant church today. One way I've, I've thought about it is, so there's two ways to play with relevance. Um, one is that you fear that the culture is moving this particular way and that yesterday's fashions are now out of date and we have to keep up. And if, if the problem, basically the diagnosis is that the problem with the church is not cool enough. Now, you know, I remember, and I've been to churches which were really uncool. <laughs> and, 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 but I know Christians now, and I've been to churches like, man, this is cooler than, you take any teenager who doesn't go to church in this, in this suburb, and the kids in here are cooler. Like, I've been to those churches as well, right? But what I realize is, is that we've reached this level of cool. Like, what's the point that people think we reach this level of relevance or cool? Uh, and it's like, that's when revival happens. So you know, if there's a Richter scale of cool, like, oh, we're at 9.2, if we get to 9.4, and just even hipper, better music, better clothes, better graphics, uh, and then we click over and revival breaks out. Um, so, um, you know, my sense is that there is the relevance that's important, like you're communicating the gospel uh, in the language that people understand it. You know, if you, you know, go to a French-speaking country and you're speaking Portuguese, you know, it's going to be a trouble. But, you know, I feel that we believe this idea that, yeah, if we hit this relevance, that then the gospel is going to break it. I don't think that's true. But then there's another kind of relevance because on the street, there are people who are living their lives and our TV networks and our entertainment ignores normal life. And, you know, there are ordinary people who are hungry for someone to talk to. They've got real problems. Their kids are, are mucking up. They don't know what to do. They've got depression. They don't have a food to eat. You know, in a coronavirus moment like this, there is so much need. Now, you can be relevant in that place because we actually have answers. We have an answer of good news of Jesus. We also have hands and feet, which to serve people. And, you know, so I think that the church has gone for this relevance in this space, which the culture values, which is this world of popular culture. But we've missed out on the relevance that we can be. You know, Jesus didn't start a PR firm. Jesus didn't start this great, you know, Roman project of, you know, how he could get his you know, statue everywhere. But Jesus was incredibly relevant where people actually needed him to be relevant. But I think we've got to actually, and, and churches are brilliant at that. Like churches, um, there's a book called Dignity. It's so fascinating um, by an American guy who, who traveled a lot for work. And he just started going, you know, in America, there's this huge divide between poor people who live on the street in these areas that they say stay away from. So he'd go to a hotel and the, the concierge would say, oh, go and eat that way. Don't go that street. So he started going to the streets where they told him not to go. 
and found desperate poverty, which existed in lots of parts of America. But he said, the thing he knows, he wasn't a Christian. He said, you go to the worst places, there's always a, a really small storefront church and they're the ones actually feeding people. You know, so the church is relevant. There, 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 there are lots of churches doing fantastic things in those places. But I think it's actually more an issue around how we, 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 we've tried to be relevant because we're actually afraid that we've missed out on the applause of culture of saying that we're actually cool when we were never called to be that. Yeah, so <clears throat> what would you say, I guess, are two or three measurements of cultural relevance? You know, could it be... Um, you know, community outreach or like, how does a church, I guess, measure their relevance to culture? Because I think what I heard or what I'm hearing you say is that in, if we're not careful, we can start measure it by simply on the level of coolness. And now I've got a lot of friends who are part of an extraordinary mega church. Most people from the outside will judge them as simply being cool. But when you get to know them, their heart is absolutely focused on the world around them and serving community. And so one of the things I'm super passionate about is that I've seen that that level of depth exists at a mega church level. I've seen the level of cultural relevance exist in a church that looks good, sounds great, mm. and is cool. Um, but but what would be two or three measurements for people watching this that you could say, hey, are we culturally relevant? Mm. What are these three kind of things? Yeah. I mean, just to give you a really practical example, it's, it's in, in our local municipality, our LGA here. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone ever say LGA before yeah. COVID? Oh, no. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> So it, it's really interesting here in, in our local area, the council has reached out to the churches. And so during COVID, the council and the churches and the police are delivering food to people. And this is just happening really quietly. And it's this incredible work that's happening. And you've got all different denominations, Catholics, Protestants coming together. Now, interesting what's happened off the back of that is prayer. So they're all praying together. You know, and I just saw that as this thing where when the local council actually says, hey, we need help here and you can provide this need, that, that's a real metric, I think. Um, when people say, I've got an issue, I don't know who to talk to. Um, the world is, I'm troubled by what I see in the news in Afghanistan or I've got a loss of meaning. Do they ask you? And it may not begin with, hey, I want to tell me about Jesus, but it might be, say, have you got a sec to just talk? Or they start chatting with you. And I think that's the second one. And the other one is I noticed, it's so funny in Australia, Australians are irreligious until there's a natural disaster. <laughs> it's just so fascinating with bushfires and all of that. You know, there's a sense, you know, I was part of the Salvation Army for many years. There was a special heart place in the Australian heart for the Salvation Army. Why? Because the Salvation Army went to the front lines in World War I, to the front trenches and served people. And in the Great Depression, um, the, the Salvos were on the front lines giving people food. Australian, there's a lot of people have not forgotten that cultural memory. So I think there's a sense that, you know, in a moment of disaster, who, who do they ask to pray, you know? And I've had the experience that people you don't think are religious and then if someone passes away or whatever and, and you get the, the call, you know? So I think they're three really practical ways. I love that. And, you know, from an open doors perspective, we would say that, you know, I personally believe that the institution of the local church, man, both world history and Christian history would tell you that it's indisputable heavyweight of the world when it comes to hope aid, justice, safety, and relief. And that a well-functioning church, well, it reaches far beyond the four walls of simply Christianity and starts to impact community. And so what I love, Mark, is when you talk about cultural relevance and, and particularly within your LGA, um, you know, that the fact that people are coming to the church, but again, we can have so often this negative lens on the church and say, man, the Western church sucks and, you know, we've got to do this. Actually, the, the, the factors are right. Right. And things are happening and people are starting to look for hope. You know, if someone said to me, 
Mike, what would change in your life if you took Jesus out of it? Well, the answer to that is not that I'd be a worse person. It's that hope would leave my life. And I think we look around society and culture and to hear that story is a beautiful picture of a culturally relevant church. Has COVID exposed an underlying tension within the Western church? There's a large emergence of people saying, I don't need the church to be a Christian. But what was the original blueprint for the church? And are we still living that out? In this segment, join Mike and Joel Cave, the senior pastor of Glow Church in Brisbane, for a conversation around churchless faith. Always thought with COVID, what we're gonna see is a decline in the number of church going Christians, right? Yeah. We're gonna see a broadening of the gospel as people ingest informations from a variety of denominations, right? And we're probably gonna see a drop in the need of pastoral services because during the time people are sort of saying, well, hang on, and I haven't been at church for like 12 months now and I don't really feel any different and they haven't really done anything for me. So in that case, what do they actually do? And so when I talk about a churchless faith, I'm talking about an emergence of a trend where people say, I do not need the church to be Christian. And I think, um, you know, I can follow Jesus without the church. I can happily have my own faith and pursue him without anything to do with church. And so I think that would be my definition of a churchless faith. Yeah, I think, well, thanks for, you know, kind of giving that, that definition because it does really help our, our thinking and i think it's true I and mean, probably the you know COVID has probably exposed something that has been at the very fabric of you know maybe an underlying um tension that's existed in the last few years i think particularly you know in the western church and i i would say that what's so important is that we need to always go back to the original blueprint of what was church and what is church you know th that word church i think has become uh, uh potentially this 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 picture in people's minds that is so far away from what the original blueprint was in Acts chapter two, and for me, um, I, I live in Acts two. I, I'm constantly talking about it. I'm constantly reading it. I'm constantly asking God for, for a fresh revelation around it. Um, from from having gone to the upper room personally in Israel to uh, to really asking the question of God. This thing, the church, this this institutionalized thing 2000 years later that started off so organically uh, in, in one room, God, would you just bury that deep in my heart, a conviction for what is the Ecclesia? You know, what is that, mm. that, that Greek to the Ecclesia, the gathering of his people? And, you know, often in our church, people will hear me regularly say, gee, I wish there was a sign up on the way into the church and said, you know, hey, church, welcome to the building. A, a constant reminder that coming to a, a, a physical walls on a Sunday is not church. Because we are the church that God has placed in us. We are the church. And when we gather together uh, under the name of Jesus, and, and there's certain things I think that, you know, uh, what we call a church service or a gathering, uh, you know, is biblically mandated to look like. There's things that um, a small group or a, a connect group or a discipleship group, or whatever you want to call that, um, there's biblical, you know, mandate for what that looks like. And I've, I think that what's happened is that um, if we can just cut straight to the chase, there has become this deep, division amongst the western church about about church because of the amount of pain and the amount of hurt of people who've been leaders in churches that have thought church was one thing had a bad experience and then have swung so far the other way and as a result we've now got so many confused people as to what is church and what's interesting is for us um you know eclo um when when covid struck I actually thought to myself, this is going to be the greatest test of our church and how we built this church. 
because I don't believe I built the church around a good idea that I came up with. I believe that we did everything we could when we started eight years ago to really get out the, the blueprint that the architect gave us and ask ourselves, how do we make sure that we don't build an event style church that's driven to a consumer way of thinking that everyone comes on a Sunday and get, it feels good at the end of it and walks away. And how, how do we build a church where we make sure that it's actually 24 seven thinking we're building disciples, we're in people's homes. Um, you know, what does that look like? And so we, we have been on a journey that, you know, if you've walked in on a Sunday, you might not necessarily at first go, gee, it looks different to every other church. Um, or just, you know, some church people would have walked into, uh, which is true uh, in terms of like the way worship is or the way that, you know, um, you know, a service would, would happen. But for me, I often say that, you know, church is just a false, the you know, gathering on a Sunday is just a false economy of what a Christian really is or isn't. I mean, either I walk away from that experience and think that was a nice thing, or it, it motivates me towards a point of genuine change and I want to become more like Jesus as a disciple and I want to be in people's homes during the week and I want to live this faith out. And so I, depending on how someone sees church, I, you know, for me, I see it like it's almost like a petrol station that I'm being filled up with, with something I can't get in my, the, my, the private place we've got. I can't even get it in a small group of people. There's some things that God does in a faith-filled atmosphere, the ecclesia, that I can't get in any other environment. And I think we've really seen that during COVID that um, there's some things that are for the, you know, for, for a, a small group of people together that they, that they can believe God for in those environments, the big environments that have been missing for a long time. And it's exposed so many people's faith because they thought that Christianity was going to an event on a Sunday. And really it's just exposed the fact that they were going to uh, tick a box at something as opposed to living out something that was all the time in the world that we live in. And so when this went down for me, I was actually super excited because I knew that the more that this thing got shook from the, you know, during this time, I had a strong feeling in my heart. We would come out the other side, not only stronger, but, but larger, more healthy. And it's turned out to be a very true statement because in the last 12 months we've seen a significant growth. Well, I, I can't say that the people I'm talking to around me, they've probably seen the opposite. And I don't think it's because mm. they were leaving other churches to come to GLOW. I think actually the people who have realized that the strength of midweek community and discipleship is so strong. The people go, I, I crave that. I want, I, if I can't get this, that, that good feeling on Sunday, which people have been living for, but I want to actually like open the word of God up together. We want to take communion together. We want to pray with each other. We want to live this out. I think that that's what we're seeing. And the problem is, and this is where I'll get to it. If I offend any other pastors, I apologize. I think that in the Western culture, we have got to a point where church has become entertainment, consumer mentality. Uh, you know, you better have the best coffee and you better have the best kids ministry. And I'm going to come with a shopping list full of things. And we've missed the point that that was only one type of church, uh, one type of, sorry, part of the Christian faith, which is the gathering. That, And many churches had completely done away with the Acts 2 model, which is the fact that they met in homes and small groups. They devoted to the teaching of the word. They they took communion. They they met each other's needs. And I love it. You know, in Acts 2, verse uh, 47, the the sum total of all these things that were happening in the original church was, and then daily, um, sorry, and daily uh, people were being saved and, and added to their number. Something about that community of people was so vibrant and so life giving and so appealing to someone to say i will leave all religious tradition in the jewish culture because i want that it's so attractive 
And that's why we see in the persecuted church, there's, there's a difference in people because they're living their faith. They're living this deep conviction that, you know, like you said, like, if I have to go to jail, if I have to if I potentially face persecution, if I'm going to have to live this out, when you have experienced the life change of Jesus as a disciple, you know that this is real. His power is real. And so I knew that when, when COVID happened, I was like, I'm excited because it means that um, we're going to see the church fully now engaged in, in, in small groups, you know, and I think we went from 300 to 500 connect groups during that time. I knew that it meant that Christians were going to have to either be like doubling down on the fact that I need Jesus more than ever. Um, when we, you know, if you remember when, um, you know, the first few weeks of COVID happened and it, seeing all those images on the news of people lining up around Centrelink, um, I must say that like, it was very confronting. And I don't know, I remember mm. thinking, this is, wow, this is like, this yeah. is like the, the, the Great Depression stuff going here. And I've got to tell you that we have never had so many people that time clamp. Can you please pray for me? Can you please help me? Can you please? There was this desperation in people's faith that as, as COVID went on and as the JobKeeper payments happened and as things got easier, so too did they, you can just see like this, everyone sort of backed off the pedal of like, you know, pursuing God wholeheartedly, discipleship, you know, things that people were shaking out just because they were like, oh, well, it's all good. I can see why in, in places where you, um, you better believe what you believe in, in a deep sense of the mm. word, because if, if you're going to say that you're a Christian or you're going to have to like go to jail for your faith, you better believe it. You know, you bet you better stand up for it. And I think that here in Australia, while we might not be necessarily facing persecution yet, there will come a day where we will have to stand up for it, whether it's trial by media, whether it's trial by conviction, trial by values, um, or we're getting to a point of trial by what we believe God says. And are we, are we really ready to actually stand up for what he said and believe it and actually live it? Well, if we can't even turn up to church on a Sunday uh, and it's become once a month, or I can't even go to a connect group because I'm too busy for that, or I don't really have time to pray. Uh, I, I, it makes me really nervous. And I, I think we need yeah. to, as leaders, pastors, we need to double down on the fact that we need to raise disciples that are following after Jesus wholeheartedly and believing that he can reshape this idea of what church is. It's, it's not just a gathering on a Sunday. That's part of being the church. Mm. It's not just going to a connect group. That's part of being the church. It's not just serving. It's part of being a, a part of the church. We are the church. We are the church. He doesn't see Glow Church. He doesn't see Planet Shakers or Hillsong or the Baptist Church. He sees the church. We are his ecclesia. We're his bride. And we must reflect the fact that we have seen uh you know we have a deep conviction that no matter the circumstance of the situation that jesus he is who he says he is he told us he's going to build his church he's building a community of believers we have to attach ourselves to that thinking and as soon as it becomes about a person building a church we're in big problems it's got to be jesus yeah. building his church i mean i tell our staff all the time guys don't forget in every meeting before we start we're praying let's always welcome the holy spirit and they say this is your this is your church this is your meeting we want to have your mind, not what do I think? What's our culture? What's our vision? They're all things that, you know, by parts of like, you know, you know, believers and, but you know, the argument is big church, small church, home church, small, you know, all those things. Well, I read Acts 2 and I see all those things. You know, I see that, you know, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes out and he starts preaching. 3,000 men get saved. I mean, there was a small room of people then when there was a, a large gathering of people and then they're in the small groups of people gathering. I mean, all of these things are the church. 
And I don't think that it's ever about one or the other. I actually believe that all those things can exist in a healthy, vibrant community. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast and what we've learned in 2021. To find out more about how you can support the persecuted church, head to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Beth, and we'll catch you next month for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.